are listening to the podcast of the White Church at the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share His love. From Titus chapter 2. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach that what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled, In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed, because they have nothing bad to say about you. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters, and in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness, and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Well, let me tell you how we have arrived at this scripture reading. It feels like that might be an important question to answer as we begin. Ever since our start in 2010, it was February 14th of 2010, I've kept track of what we've studied in the Bible from year to year and Sunday to Sunday. And now 12 years later, we're actually closing in on having studied every book of the New Testament. I don't mention that to by any means pat ourselves on the back. It's just been our aim to be instructed and nourished by the Word of God. And here we are. God has given us enough years to now be approaching this milestone. We've studied much of the Old Testament as well, but in the New we have eight books left. And so I started to look at those eight in preparation for this fall and the new year, and about half of them are really quite short, some of the shortest books of the Bible. But I also started to look at the pattern that emerges in some of these readings. And what I was seeing was this theme of healthy rhythms, biblical principles commended to us to shape our daily life. And so here we have the table question this morning. What are the rhythms and the routines that you have that shape your daily life or that might shape your week and that actually bring you joy? And and it doesn't matter if you're a particularly disciplined or regimented person or if you're kind of more freewheeling and dealing and fly by the seat of your pants. However you're wired, we all have those habits and rhythms that give structure and satisfaction to our day. Some of you love to be active and to exercise. Just thinking across the room, I know I can see my friend Chris up on the treadmill in the evenings, or he might be down here playing basketball. Megan, who was just up here and sharing about Y groups, 
She posts about her runs and what it's like to be outside and put in the miles. I remember my friend Joe telling me once that he's just got to get outside every day and burn off some energy. It's a healthy rhythm. For others of us, we may start our day a little more subdued. It's a morning cup of coffee. Or it's some time with a book or your Bible or devotional reading. Or maybe taking an evening walk. Even our kids and students have these kinds of healthy rhythms. A favorite breakfast item. I know my kids will ask for that or, you know, look for what's in the freezer. Or regularly seeing their friends. One of the things that for our students made that COVID stretch so difficult. Even the littlest ones have their rhythms. You know, if you were to talk to Megan about her twins, I mean, you don't mess with their nap schedule or you're going to pay. So all of us, any stage of life, we have these routines and healthy rhythms that shape the day. And the Bible clearly speaks to the healthy rhythms of a happy heart. And yes, the Bible uses the word happy and blessed frequently. A person who's walking with God, who is walking in grace, being built up in the Spirit. And that's what I was unearthing in these remaining books that we're going to take a look at. At least a number of them. Titus, Philemon. I mean, some of these quite obscure Second and third John are on our list this fall, and there will be others as well. And they're going to lead us into learning about things like healthy family, which is the focus today. Healthy conflict. Living out your faith in the workplace. Life on the home front. Finances. Worship life. These healthy rhythms that God has established and teaches us in Scripture. So on this first Sunday, and, and maybe you're just checking out the Y Church, or you're here for the first time, we invite you to come along and join us in this study. Whether it's been a healthy season for you, or it has been more a, a season of struggle, every single one of us knows the reality of falling out of rhythm. Can I get an amen? We know that feeling. And we bring it here, and we find this is a place where the Lord helps me get back on track. There is great news in that God's mercies are new every morning, His Word says. His grace picks us up and it sets us out on a fresh course. And I love that about a new season and how God loves us in that way. So today, in Titus, we get started with healthy family, which is really about the church family. So in later weeks, we'll get to home life and talk about that. Uh, We will touch on that a little bit as there's application today. But the focus is on healthy spiritual family. What it means to be here and to belong and to grow and to find your place. And we start with this, I think, decently hefty passage from Titus. I was chuckling this week because a few weeks ago when I was putting together our schedule and our readings, it seemed like a really good idea to schedule this passage. And then this week, I found myself a little nervous about it and not quite so sure. Do we really want to start with... Ladies, be busy at home, and references to slavery. (laughs) It is a passage with some potential pitfalls, but don't let that distract you. I want to tell you something I've learned, and I'm continually reminded of, that if there is something in the Bible that I don't understand or that I might bristle at, I can assume I'm wrong and that there's something more that I need to learn. I have just found that to be a very helpful posture. 
And I don't say that as if, okay, we're just going to stick our heads in the sand and ignore it. I say that like a student who is learning a new concept that at first doesn't make any sense. Among our educators, our teachers who are here, how many of you have had those moments in a classroom where you see a student who has been struggling with a concept or lesson and all of a sudden it clicks? For me, I think back to my piano teacher, the unforgettable Dolores Willie, who would breathe so furiously through her nose while I was playing and she would kind of snort out the rhythms that I was supposed to be playing. But she taught me how to play eighth notes against triplets, which if you have studied music, is quite the concept. Where you have eighth notes in one hand, you have triplets in the other playing at the same time. And I thought my brain was going to explode trying to get this concept. But she showed me and taught me and I practiced and it was clunky at first and it it didn't sound very smooth, but all of a sudden, it clicked. We really desire for the Y Church to be a place of spiritual aha moments. Where we pick up material that is, in fact, bigger than we are. And we wrestle with it. We study it. We pick up hard passages. And all of a sudden, we get it. So with that in mind, let's talk about healthy family. Titus. Maybe you're hearing about Titus for the first time, this little book. Titus is one of the three pastoral epistles. That means simply it's a letter written to a pastor. And we have three of them in the New Testament, First and Second Timothy, and then Titus. And the writer of all three of these little letters is the Apostle Paul. By this time now in his life, seasoned in ministry. And the recipients of these letters are, on the one hand, Timothy, who is a pastor in Ephesus, which is modern-day Turkey, and Titus on the island of Crete. I do want to give a little preview that there are early plans for a wide church trip to follow the footsteps of the Apostle Paul in 2024. So not next year, but the year after. And one of the stops on that trip will be Crete, a Greek island that is just south of the mainland, 160 miles east to west, but only ever at its most 27 miles wide. In fact, often skinnier than that. Paul had stationed Titus there. Titus and Timothy, both young pastors, he'd stationed Titus there to lead the fledgling churches that were on that island. And if we were to have read chapter 1, we'd see that Paul says Titus is to appoint elders. What that means is local leaders of the churches that are growing on that island. And one of the great challenges on Crete was not only the need for spiritual leadership, but the spread of false teaching into those churches. And we're reminded that in any culture, in any time, there will be the temptation to entertain teaching that does not come from the Bible. But it worms its way in here somehow. It did on Crete. It can today. It sneaks in to taint the purity of your faith, to mislead the believer, and to disrupt the unity of the church. And that's why being anchored in the Word is so important. The Bible is our foundation. Christ is our center. Spiritual maturity is our goal. So Paul's writing to Titus, giving this instruction, and he says, You, however, 
So you see the however. Contrast to the false teachers. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Paul's mentoring Titus and he's saying, you know, some people will want you to go in a different direction to modify this or to soften that or to emphasize that. But you, Titus, stick to what is true. Now, this is a word to pastors and church leaders such as Megan from our leadership team. But it's also a word to congregations who employ and appoint them. And so you should know and have my assurances, which you do, that this will be a place where we teach the Bible. You don't need to come on Sunday and hear my spiritual musings up here. My ideas, my ramblings. You need and I need to be fed by the nourishment of God's Word. Now let's be reminded, even as we hold up this book, we don't worship this book. That belongs to Christ alone. But it is through this book that we have the gospel of Jesus Christ to begin with. So we cherish it and reverence it and we're to persevere in its teaching. Now one of the results of the false teaching there in Crete that had gained such a foothold is that it had caused havoc across the spiritual family. And so after first charging Titus to adhere to sound doctrine, what does Paul do? He now gives instruction to these various groupings within the church. And we can learn so much in our own time from what he says here. It's a fairly lengthy passage that we have, but I would like to just land briefly on each one of these groupings and find application. And that's always the task before us. It's especially relevant when we pick up the letters, the epistles, but that is to find meaning and then from there to move to application. So what did Paul, what did the writer mean in its original setting, in its context, and then anchored in that? How do we find application for our everyday life here today? So, let's get started with the older men. Older men. Who are our older men? Don't be shy, guys. Raise your hand. Who are our older men? You might as well own it. In my notes, I had grumpy old men, and then I crossed that off. (laughs) Older men, God has brought you into this rich season in life. And Titus begins with you. Titus 2.2, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound. Four characteristics. Temperate means sober-minded. It can mean sober-sober, but it also figuratively means sober-minded or clear-headed. Have you ever known a hothead? They're usually men, aren't they? And it would be unfitting, Paul is writing to Titus, especially for an older man. So walk in a way, he says, that is worthy of respect in your actions, in your demeanor. Be self-controlled, it says. That means that you, older man, are prudent. You're thoughtful. A man of wisdom. And then the fourth characteristic, it says, be a man who is sound. That means true and reliable and in three particular ways. In faith, in love, and endurance. That means, men, that you are trusting God, actively loving others around you, and you have a hopeful perseverance about you, 
even as you age in years. So older men, those who raise your hands and those who are wondering, if you're wondering if you're an older man, you're probably an older man. (laughs) How does this sound to you? You have a certain chronological maturity that allows you now to serve as an example of spiritual maturity. And we need you in this role in this congregation. Invested, present, serving, loving others and modeling what it means to be a man of God. And we as a congregation bless you in this role. Older women. Who are our older? No, I'm not going to ask that. You don't have to raise your hands. I don't know much, but I do know not to ask that. <laughs> but the instruction here is good. Titus 2.3 Be reverent in the way you live. Be reverent in the way you live. That means, women, that you would walk with the reverence of a woman of God. I think of Anna the prophetess. Or Naomi in the book of Ruth. Or Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist. Paul says to Titus to let them know, do not speak slanderously about anyone. As we get older, we might notice it gets easier to complain or criticize or gossip. Sometimes with age, we might notice that people lose their filter. And Paul seems to know this 2,000 years later, it's not changed. And so he encourages the older women to put a guard over their mouth. He says, do not be addicted to much wine. Literally what it says there in the Greek is do not be enslaved to wine. And again, how relevant is this 2,000 years on? How many memes have you seen, if you're on social media, about wine that almost always feature women? It's true. The wine mom has become an internet icon. I was once chatting with a mom, someone I know, and I I can share this story, no relation to the Y Church. Once chatting with a mom when I was just running errands, was out and about in town, somebody I know. And after some small talk, you know, and kind of wrapping up the conversations, I, I said, well, what are you guys doing tonight? And she said, well, I'll probably just go home after work and have my two, three glasses of wine. And I don't tell you that story because I thought poorly of her or I was surprised or disappointed. I tell you that because I find it is, for many of us, relatable. It is relatable. Perhaps especially for moms and grandmas when it comes to women and their wine. Just making a cultural observation. The thing I remember, though, that I think is more important about that conversation is the way that she said that, you could hear in her voice almost this undertone of defeat as she said it. Like, I'm just getting through the day to get home and take the edge off. Long work day. I'm going to go put on my shows, and I'm going to have wine. Paul does not say, by the way, and the Bible does not say that alcohol is categorically bad or forbidden. Might be another teaching for another day. But as we carefully read the Bible, we see it is the overconsumption of alcohol that's the issue. And that is what will enslave and ruin us. Older women, be reverent in how you live and teach what is good. 
Our older women, you have been given the life experience now to teach. And we need your wisdom. I was thinking this week of a dear old saint of the Y Church named Marilyn. In her 90s, widowed many, many years now. And to sit and talk with Marilyn is to sit and listen to wisdom. And ladies, you don't have to be in your 90s for this word to apply to you. I'll let you pick the age and decide if you are an older woman. But if you are, then persevere in this. And we come to the next generation. And that is now younger women. And note that it's the older women who are teaching the younger women. This mentor-mentee concept, just as Paul is instructing Titus, is so effective. So who are you mentoring? Who is mentoring you? The older women, it says, are to urge, or that means encourage and counsel the younger women. And the aim of their teaching, if you count them all up, is sevenfold. The first pair is to love their husbands and children. Love being the cardinal virtue of following Christ. And it starts with the daily grind at home. And those relationships closest to you. And notice the priority as we look at this. It is spouse first, kids second. And how easy it is over the years for us to flip these two. Our kids can become our universe, is the language. Whereas our spouse, yeah, the luster wears off. And over the years, you can start to take each other for granted. You might even find yourself disillusioned in your marriage unfulfilled, unmoved, unmotivated. And then, especially in that environment, the children capture your heart and capture your attention. But Paul says, no. Marriage first, children second. And did you know you actually love your children most when you love your spouse first? Kids love to see that. They're not threatened by that. They don't feel like they're second place. They feel safe. Because mom and dad love each other. Next on the list for our younger women. Be self-controlled and pure. This speaks to growing in both wisdom and holiness. So teenage girls, girls in your 20s or 30s, are you growing in self-control and walking in purity? It's a beautiful picture of young womanhood that is painted in a world that can tend to paint it very differently. And then with that, we come to this one that gets everybody's attention. Be busy at home and be kind. Hey, never mind, be kind. What's this be busy at home stuff, right? Now remember, that's why we have to be careful students of the Word. And the, and the Lord helps us. He teaches us. First meaning, from there we move to application. Is Paul prescribing the domesticated life for all women. Is he saying you cannot work outside the home? No. Rather, Paul is speaking to the everyday situation of the young women living in the first century on the island of Crete. Now, attached to this instruction is going to be a so that statement that drives this at the end of the verse that we'll get to in a moment. But to this point first, Paul is telling Titus that the older women are to tell the younger women to be diligent homemakers, which is where they find themselves. 
And though our context is different, we do have to be careful that we would not scoff at this or dismiss it entirely. There's wisdom here in 2022 for us. There is dignity and blessing in keeping a home and family running. And sometimes we risk overcorrecting in our cultural arrogance or our ignorance. And I want to remind you, by the way, that think of the exemplary woman of Proverbs 31. She was also a very successful businesswoman. So it is a both and. And now having dealt with one difficulty, we come to the next, and that is the seventh item, and be subject to your husband. On this note, I'd say it's beyond the scope of our time today to go into this whole topic of headship and marriage and untangle that whole discussion. We have done that before, and we'll come to it again in the future. I will say this, though, today, that however you discern a theology of gender, whether it would be egalitarian or complementarian, you have to make sense of this admonition. So you can't just come to this line and say, well, that's outdated. I'm not going to be subject to my husband. The Bible says, be subject to your husband. It also gives instruction for husbands. It says, husbands, love your wives. It says to both of us, if that's your station in life, in Ephesians 5, submit to one another. A mutual submission out of reverence for Christ. And here's the so that that we get to. So that no one will malign the word of God. He means so that people won't discredit Christ The outsider looking in because they see these followers of Jesus living in upheaval, unbecoming in their conduct, disrupting social order, whatever the case might be. And yet, don't miss this. Let me speak to younger women specifically. If you want to live radically different than the general malaise of our time, then live according to these verses. That is a bold move. Loving your husband and children, earnest in your faith, hardworking and kind-hearted, and in whatever capacity, making your home a beautiful dwelling as unto the Lord. And that brings us finally to the young men. Now, I want you to look at how short their instruction is. I, I chuckled this week. After seven imperatives to the younger women, we get to the guys and it's like Paul is saying to Titus, look, just tell those knuckleheads to be (laughs) self-controlled. They can hardly remember how to tie their shoes. Be self-controlled. But kidding aside, there is more to it than that. First, you maybe would notice that self-control is the only thing in this entire passage specifically commended to every age group and gender. Older men, older women teaching younger women, and now younger men are to be self-controlled. And I find that significant. It is also one of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. In fact, it's the last one, the crescendo. But secondly, there's a literary segue that is here in the letter because Paul immediately after, and we're not going to look at those verses, but he's going to shift to now address Titus, who himself is a young man. So in a sense, what Paul tells Titus is applicable for all the young men. 
And it starts in verse 6 with their self-control. And just as we've spoken to each age group, if I may speak to the younger men, students, young men, whatever your age and place in life, people will make a lot of excuses for you. They will. They'll say, oh, boys will be boys. They'll say their frontal lobe is still developing. They'll say, oh, that's just hormones. My brothers, don't let them set the bar so low for you. Self-control means you have been given a sound mind. You are called to reason well, to have common sense, to seek wisdom, and to practice self-control. It is a high and worthy calling to be employed as a young man in the kingdom of God. With that, Paul has one final group for instruction, and that is the slaves. Now, if we had time, I could show you very clearly that no, the Bible does not promote slavery. Quite the opposite. The Bible is what led to the convictions of many of the great abolitionists. What this is here is Paul writing to the people of the Roman Empire where one-third of those sitting in church in Crete were slaves. And on top of that, another third were what they called freedmen, those who had been slaves previously in life and had been redeemed and were now set free. So Paul is not writing in support of slavery. He is writing in support of slaves who are seeking to follow Christ with where they are at in life. And we're going to get more into these dynamics. We'll have an opportunity in a few weeks in Philemon. But for now, we can make some application to the places where we serve, you might say where we slave away, and that is our workplace. That would be a good place of application. And in that sense, Paul is saying, be subject to your boss, which can be a rather hard thing to do. He says, don't grumble behind their back, but work to please them. Avoid what can be so common in the workplace, the tendency to talk back, or maybe if not to their face, but behind their back, mumbling under your breath, giving attitude or taking liberties because you think you're owed something. No, says Paul, rather show that you're trustworthy. Serve with excellence. And why? So that it gives credibility to your testimony as a Christian. And we're going to have a whole Sunday on faith in the workplace coming up. So we look forward to that together and we'll speak more at that time. What I want to close with in this passage is what Paul now says is the basis of this entire teaching. And we'll finish with a flurry. This is where he swings this whole thing around. In many of the other letters, aside from the pastorals, this comes early on. Here in Titus, it comes after the instruction. And this is why, Paul says, any of this instruction can be given in the first place. This is why we can even pursue it. It comes in verse 11. You're going to see a whole lot of verses. We don't have time. Just focus on the first sentence. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Okay, and the rest flows from there. But older men, older women... 
younger women, younger men, slaves, pastors, church leaders, church members. It is because the grace of God has showed up in a manger on the cross to save us from sin. It is on that basis that you and I can be a healthy person in a healthy church family. My brothers and sisters, I am so glad that you're here, that you're starting this new season with us, that we get to do life together. And if you're new to the Y Church, I want to share this in a sense as a summary of our sentiment. And if you're not new, then we can all benefit from this reminder. And that is that the church is a family. Not because of warm, fuzzy feelings, but because of the cross, because of Christ. The church is a family. You are loved and welcome here. You truly are. We are all works in progress. And most importantly, it is God who is doing the work. Furthermore, when we talk about healthy rhythms here, you'll hear us talk about these three things. I hope, anyway, they come up again and again. We keep it simple. I I can't remember that much. So it's just three short things. These are the three things that we invite everyone to do at the Y Church. If you want to set down roots, if you really want to grow and thrive in your faith, then come regularly to worship. Make Sunday mornings just part of your weekend routine. Get involved in a Y group and take up that invitation and jump onto one of our serving teams. Worship, Y group, and serve. That we find is a healthy rhythm. And we invite it to you wholeheartedly. Let's pray together. Lord, we quiet our hearts and our minds now before you. And in light of all that we have heard out of your word this morning, we thank you, Lord, for this book. We thank you for its clear teaching. And we thank you, Lord, that in your grace and by the power of your spirit, you also help us to understand the things that are more difficult. That we might grow and flourish in our relationship to you and to one another. And I pray, Lord, whatever season of life that we find ourselves in, however this word has been spoken to us today, that you would give us soft hearts to receive it and your help in this new season before us. We pray, Lord, that this week, whatever assignments we have at work, at school, at home, would just come to life in a new way because we get to follow you. We love you, Lord. We pray in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at thewychurch.org.